0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alright friends, if you have your Bibles, uh, you're going to need them. We're in 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back here. Uh, You can take those home with you if you don't have one. We'd love to give one to you. A couple things, just um, before we jump in, uh, I was just alerted. The East Missional Community is doing a uh, spring break food drive for Garlow Elementary, which is a school that we've partnered with. So, there are if you if you know what I'm talking about, there are bags available to you uh, out in the as you leave. And if you have questions, talk to Andy and Crystal right over here. They're waving like mad people. There we are awesome, um, and there are these to let you know what goes in them. Also, um, somebody left a phone at the student um, event and. Um, It's, uh, you know, it's one of these cool little guys that does this. Um, It also looks like it would be great to skip on the Mississippi River, you know, it's like a... (laughs) So if that's you or anybody knows whose this is, please um, figure that out. Uh, And last but not least, you might have noticed there are no buckets on your tables today. Kind of throwing everybody off, I know, it's a little, a little, little wonky in here. Um... So this is um, uh, for a couple reasons. We typically do offerings and newcomer cards in these little buckets on the tables. And um, at the end of the day, it's really, really labor intensive. Um, we have to have two counters at the first gathering, two counters at the second. They have to go all, you know, check all the buckets in between. So we started, you know, think, heart, think smarter, not harder, uh, as they say. So um, for the next at least six weeks, we're just going to give this a go and see how, see how it goes. There are offerings drop spots, basically. There are little black boxes um, and keep in mind that the nearest one might be behind you. Thank you very much. Thought of that one this morning. Uh, there are two black boxes here, one at the spiral staircase and uh, one over here. And there's one upstairs by the bar. Um, so it will look like you're going for a cocktail, but between you and the Lord, you'll know. You're actually, you know, dropping an offering of some sort off and don't mind the, uh, the onlookers. Um, So if you're new, there are cards on the table. We'd love to know that you're here, and we'd love to take you out for coffee if you're looking for a new community to get involved in. Um, So if you could fill that out, drop it in the boxes, that would be awesome. And tithes and offerings can go in those uh, as well. Uh, If you didn't know, you can give online at Awaken. And uh, listen, this is a nonprofit. Um, we, We get to do what we get to do because people believe in the vision here. And so if you haven't gotten involved in that but have been calling this place home, we want to invite you to do that. Um, as a part of, well, a way of being involved, but also uh, as your pastor, I would encourage you to think about that, um, whether it's giving here at Awaken or giving somewhere else. Um, generosity is a mark of the kingdom, and so uh, it should be a mark of us in our lives. So I want to invite you to consider that. Um, if you have your Bibles, Second Corinthians chapter 1, we are finishing, we're rounding home on chapter 1 and moving into chapter 2 here. So stand as we read, Uh, The scriptures will begin in verse 23 of chapter 1. Paul says this, I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith that you stand firm. And so I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but you you whom I have grieved? I wrote you as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all that you, in all of you that you would share my joy, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Pray with me. God, as we open ourselves up to this uh, part of Paul's letter, we open ourselves up to you, uh, the God who is good the God who is love, the God who is grace and hope and mercy and beauty. Everything that we know that is good in this world is from you. And so uh, for some, we do this with reservation because uh, it's not gone well before. For some, we come with anticipation and eagerness. And wherever we are, God, we trust that you meet us because you are the God who is Emmanuel, who is with us. And so today, for at least for this hour, uh, we entrust ourselves to you we pray these things in your name amen you can have a seat um, so just a, a little bit of review if you're if you're just coming in on this um, chapter one is filled and packed with all kinds of things we've talked about grace and peace that Paul begins this letter with grace and peace grace is this gift this free gift of God that comes God is the first mover as it were and God moves towards us in Christ and in doing so offers us peace uh, we've talked about the fact that God is finds us in the midst of suffering, that I would like to submit that God is not the author of suffering, but rather that we find God in the midst of suffering, because God is the God of Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about uh, prayer, and um, I, I submitted the, the idea that prayer really matters, that prayer changes things, and so we ought to engage it more. Uh, or at least an invitation to do so. Last week, we talked about, and the week before, the yes of God that we hear in Christ. That when Jesus shows up on the scene, what we hear is not the sort of the classic um, thunder and lightning of the Lord from on high who's angry, but rather the yes of God in Christ. When Jesus shows up, it's yes from God to us. And then last week, that uh, our worth has been settled. Because of that, our worth is settled. We have everything that we need because the Spirit of God has been given to us. So this week... um, Paul says some interesting things here. Uh, you have to remember that in this letter, he has, uh, he's gone to visit this church, he's planted this church, and he's visited them a number of times, and he's written to them a number of times. The last time he visited, it didn't go well. Uh, he wrote a letter since then, and actually he references it in verse 3, I wrote you as I did, and remember, this is a letter that's lost, right? Right? Um, We have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in our Bibles, but scholars would would argue that there are actually four Corinthian letters that Paul wrote. This would be number three, and it's lost. We don't have it. And so he writes them again, and this is what we get. Now, uh, I want to maybe start off just in verse three, and and, uh, a couple of things, you could start by saying it this way. Um, Paul's an apostle, but Paul is not perfect. Uh, I think sometimes when we come to the Bible, we come with uh, a lot of baggage, right? We come with all kinds of things that have been said about the Bible, experiences that we may have had, religious experiences, maybe not, and we come with sort of presuppositions or assumptions about the Bible. This is the Holy Scriptures. This is the Word of God. You know, it's so sort of like oh, the Word of the Lord, which it is in in one sense, and yet in another sense, it's it's Paul. You know, Paul, like you and me. He he probably. Uh, Passed gas after meals. He—that uh, is not in the notes. I will not say that second hour. <laughs> I mean, he's a normal guy, right? He—he—he he, he had struggles just like you and I. And while he wrote maybe most of the New Testament, um, he's just a guy. He's an apostle who's anointed by the Spirit to sort of represent and sort of be one of the first waves of this Jesus movement. And yet he's Paul. He's You know, there's one description of him from the second second century that said he didn't have a lot of hair. He was kind of short. He had crooked legs. Uh, So, I mean, he's not the most attractive guy in the world. I say all that to say, sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget that Paul was a person and he made mistakes. And I think as he opens uh, sort of chapter two, he calls or he sheds light on the fact that he says, "I as God is my witness, I did not come because I wanted to spare you." which asks or begs a question, like, what happened? And we know that Paul didn't come. Uh, he planned to come, but he didn't come, and the Corinthians were upset about that. They said, you're fickle, you say yes, and then no, you said you were going to come, and then you didn't. And Paul says, I didn't come because I wanted to spare you. And if we peel back the layers a little bit, I don't think, it's, um, I don't think I'm too far out on a limb to say that Paul regrets the visit that he made. He didn't realize what would happen. He didn't, couldn't see the future. He wasn't a mind reaper. Do you guys remember Blossom? Anybody remember that show? There's this one line. He's like, you remember Joey? I'm not a mind reaper, he says to Blossom. But Paul wasn't a mind reader. He wasn't a mind reaper or a mind reader. He couldn't tell what would happen, and so he shows up, and everything blows up in his face, and there's all kinds of chaos happening, but he didn't realize that that would happen. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite uh, New Testament authors, tells this story about, does anybody have plaster walls in their home? Yeah, you probably live in the city if you still have plaster walls. But uh, Sheetrock doesn't really do this from what I gather, but he tells this story about trying to hang a picture on a wall in his home which had plaster. And he, he got it in the wrong spot, and so he moved it just a, an eighth of an inch to the left and you know, went to, well, you all know what's going to happen here, right? It sort of just exploded, the, it made the hole larger. So then he tries to you know, hide it, and he goes up a, an eighth of an inch because he doesn't want the picture. And, and by the time it's over, he's got this gaping hole in his wall. Now, he never intended that to happen. His first move was just an eighth of an inch off. It was just a little off. But his intentions, so he, he says this. He says, what Paul is beginning to do in this passage is, as it were, to put some new filling into an ugly crack in the wall in hope that it will set firm and enable him to make a fresh start with the work of building up the church. The last time he came and the last time he wrote, it seemed all to go horribly wrong. Paul didn't know what frame of mind the Corinthians were in when he showed up and everything blew up. He didn't realize that. And if he was honest, I think he regrets coming. But it's important for us to remember as we we read this text, which is 2,000 years old, like what are the things that are at play here? Rabbi Allen always talks about this guy that I've studied with. He says, what's the river that the text is inviting us into? And I think one thing that we find in this river is that people make mistakes. When you talk about Christian community, when you talk about the church, you are not free from pain and hurt and mistakes. I've met you. <laughs> I know that you all will make mistakes. I, and you know me. I've made them publicly and privately. We'll show up at the wrong time. We'll, we'll, show up at the, we'll not show up at the right time. We'll say the wrong thing or we won't say the right thing. We're broken and fragile people and we say and do dumb things. A couple of weeks ago, um, I... How we do this, though, is, is, is what I really want to focus on or what I really want to uh, invite us to think about. How we make mistakes and when we make mistakes, what happens. A couple weeks ago, I, I, I taught on, uh, on prayer. And many of you know that I, I tend to be um, a little uh, overzealous at times. Uh, sometimes I say things that are a little over-exaggeratory, maybe inflammatory. Uh, I go to 10 when I only needed to go to 6, Right? And in my excitement and in my zeal, I've said some things that I regret saying, or, or I went further than I wished I would have gone. And somebody, uh, somebody called me on that in the, in the teaching that I gave on prayer. And they didn't do it in a mean-spirited way. In fact, they did it in a very loving way, but they said, I just, I really disagree with you. One of the things I said was that if prayer doesn't, if it doesn't matter, if it doesn't change the outcome of things, then it's really just an exercise in obedience. And I kind of painted it in a pejorative light, in a negative light. And this person said, listen, my experience testifies to a totally different reality than that. Prayer saved me. Like when I didn't pray, uh, it was bad news. And prayer was something that was a lifeline. And this person shared their story and they said, so I just, I wholeheartedly disagree with what you said. Important to note, this is a community where you can challenge the pastor and it's okay. I don't know at all. Shh, surprise! <laughs> I don't have all the answers. And I say dumb things sometimes. Maybe more than some other people. But this person came to me and, and I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And number one, I'm so thankful that you felt like you could challenge me. I'm grateful that you did it in love. And you're right. I, I went further than I ought to have. And um, and that part of prayer is really, really important, and it matters that it changes us, and that it does something inside of us, and that it s- saves some of us. And I didn't mean to, uh, I didn't mean to make you, I didn't mean to slight your experience, friends. How we do miscommunication and conflict, how we do that as the church, matters a great deal. Because it's inevitable, right? It is bound to happen in here and out there. It's bound to happen. And how we do conflict, how we do it when we've messed up, when we've said something that we regret or did something that we shouldn't have done, how we do that really, really matters. And I think Paul is modeling for us how this happens and how this works. But how you walk through it is the marker of Christ in you and the marker of Christ in our community. If you offended somebody... Can I just, you know, like, brass tacks for a second here. If you've offended somebody, as a person who follows Jesus, you're the first to say, I'm sorry. Boys in the room, repeat after me. I am sorry. I am sorry. I, I, this is one of, that's, that's my wedding message to men. <laughs> you just, like, nail that one, and you're going to be good to go. I am, I'm sorry. That's such a hard thing for some of us to say. Harder for, harder for some than others. But when you've offended somebody, even if, even if you didn't intend it, even if they, you feel like they interpreted what you said wrong, as a person who follows Jesus, you come to the table first because this is what Christ does for us. Does Jesus have anything to blame? Do we have anything to blame Jesus for, to hang on the cross for? No, and yet he comes to the table for us first. So when you are in Christian community, if you follow this Jesus, this is the example that's been set for us. You come first and you say, I'm sorry. How can I resolve this? How can we? Now, if you've been offended and someone is repentant, if they come with a, I'm sorry, I, sh- I'm, I didn't mean to do that, then you forgive them, period, no questions asked. You forgive. When somebody has a repentant heart and they're truly sorry or they, they didn't mean what was intended or they didn't mean for you to interpret the way that you did, grace, forgiveness. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, God, how many times do I have to forgive these knuckleheads? And what does Jesus say? Seventy times seven, which is code word for don't stop believing. (laughs) Don't stop believing. No, keep doing it and keep doing it again and again and again. And when you feel like you've done it as much as you can, start over. We forgive. When somebody comes with a repentant heart and they say, I'm sorry, you forgive. And then you work towards restoration and rebuilding because this is the kingdom. This is what we do. If somebody does not have a repentant heart and they've hurt you, if they don't care and they don't say they're sorry, you forgive. And you give them over to God and let God do the rest. You release them to God. And you say, you know what? I can't change that person's heart. But your move as a person who follows Jesus is forgiveness. It's grace. Now, grace and forgiveness doesn't always mean resolution. It doesn't always mean putting the relationship back together. Because sometimes those people are toxic and you should stay far away from them. It's not what I'm saying. But you you forgive, you release them. Bitterness is a prison locked from the inside. You release. That's your move. I had a couple friends of mine uh, who, who, uh, on one of my birthdays, they decided, uh, they wanted to give me, show me a good time. So um, they, they got together and they started planning and putting these plans together and they thought it would be great. You know, take me out, surprise me, we'll go have fun. Well, that was a great idea, and then they then they started adding things to this plan, and this is where it all went awry. They decided it would be a great idea to kidnap me, and uh, and so they 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 had one had a baseball bat and one had a bag, and they were gonna like you know surprise me, kidnap me. They had dubstep ready to be played in the car because that disorients everybody. <laughs> So they were going to play dubstep in the car, and then they were going to sort of drive me around, disorient me, and then, you know, take me to this location. Well, friends, if you know anything about me, you know that um, I have this really, really, really sensitive spot when it comes to being scared and surprised. Uh, it, gang, please do not do this to me. I beg of you. I, I almost punched my wife once. Because she scared me and surprised me. I'm not kidding you. It does something in me that absolutely scares me to death. It's like this primal fight or flight. Just boom, you know, like a shot of adrenaline. And either I'm going to break something in, you know, trying to, to flee or kill someone who's in front of me. So they, they push, jump out from behind the, the deal, and I just flip. I mean, I'm like cursing and swearing and like... I can't even tell you how it feels inside. Like it just there's nothing to get it out. <laughs> I mean, I'm all like all oh, bent out of shape right here. <laughs> and the looks on their faces, you know, they're just like, "Oh dear God." <laughs> and it took me about ten minutes to calm down, and while they waited on the front step, you know, and uh and they've apologized profusely like the the looks in their eyes was 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 something like this oh God, this did not go the way we anticipated it to go and we we are so sorry we wanted to show you a good time and we are so sorry so here you are right you've been you like somebody's done something and it's like done something to you but their actions weren't motivated by malice. It was love. It was, they had my best interest at heart. They came and they said, I know that now it went all wrong with the dubstep and the baseball bat. But it was motivated by love. And so you forgive and you move on. Paul reminds these folks in Corinth that he stakes his life on it. He says, I didn't come to spare you. And he needed to spare them because the first time was a mistake. He was trying to do the right thing, but it did not go well. And so I just want to highlight the fact that when we, ha- when we find ourselves here and things didn't go well or something is said, how we do that and how we walk that out marks- is a mark of discipleship. It's a mark of following this Jesus. And it's really important that we think about it and that we do it well. Paul not only gives us this little highlight, but he goes on in verse 24 and he he sort of opens up another uh, conversation about spiritual authority and spiritual leadership. He says, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith that you stand firm. Spiritual authority and spiritual leadership, if I could say it anyway, with you for joy in your faith. Uh, we live in a culture, and I'm guessing that many of us are very cynical towards power and authority, especially as it relates to spiritual power and authority. All you need to do is watch the news or read the newspapers. And far too many times, Christians are found in the midst of it, and spiritual leaders and people in authority are found in the midst of it. Can I get an amen? So many, I'm just curious, when I say like spiritual authority or spiritual leadership, you get a little nervous. Anybody in the room? Just yes, no, you're all good with it. Yeah, a couple of you, okay? Uh, I do. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't do well with authority. I usually want to, well, sometimes sometimes I'd like to play jazz. Do you like jazz? That's Jim Carrey. I couldn't pass it up. I I don't do well with authority. Sometimes I just kind of want to like buck it and say like, ah, not so much. I'm not so sure about this. But the tricky part about spiritual authority and spiritual leadership is it's biblical, it's in the scriptures. It's, it's given to us as a gift by God, and it's something that we need and we should value. So, what happens? Where does it all go awry? I had this one professor in, in seminary, and uh, he would just constantly, he was a New Testament prophet, and he would constantly be like taking a shot or having a go at kind of the institutional church, okay? And sort of air quotes, right? Institutional church. And he would just always kind of like try to sort of deconstruct the institutional model of church. And his sort of um, offering was like New Testament house church. Like that was the model. That was the deal. And so it was kind of this deconstruction of this and the offering of this. You guys know who I'm talking about. A couple Bethel grads here. So my, my problem with that was when we talked about this, what was being critiqued was the model. And what should have been critiqued was the leaders who led the model. You see, when corrupt leaders will corrupt any system, bad spiritual leaders will corrupt and and make bad any spiritual model, whether whether it's an institutional church or a house church. So the question isn't the model, but the question is authority and leadership and how do we lead well. Look at the markers of what Paul says spiritual authority looks like. He says he doesn't lord it over them, so spiritual authority and spiritual uh, uh, leadership is never something that's lorded over somebody. This is what the pagans do, he says. It's, always, it's power, and, it, and it's driven by fear. There's power because the people are afraid. And it's something that's lorded over the people and sort of coming in from over the top. Paul says that's not spiritual authority. That's not Christian community. He says, it's with I do this with you like as if it's a partnership. And it doesn't happen unilaterally. Authority and leadership in Christian community, it doesn't happen unilaterally, but it's done in partnership with one another, where there's mutual submission one to another. He says it's for your joy. What motivates Paul is not his own pleasure or his own greed or his own power, but rather the joy of the people. And then he says it's in your faith. I partner for your joy in your faith. So he comes alongside of what the Spirit of God is already doing in these people's lives, and he partners with the Spirit. It's not something that Paul does, or it's not something that Paul sort of has to rule over these people. No, he comes alongside of and partners with what the Spirit is already up to. Spiritual leadership always brings about and nurtures life in you. Spiritual leadership always brings about and nurtures your life. And I'm not just saying like blood pumping in your your heart. I'm talking about that which gives you life, that which makes you alive, that which flourishes in you. Spiritual leadership always works towards and brings about life in you. Spiritual authority is always rooted in the work of the spirit and is done and accomplished through relationship. Relationship. So when we're talking about spiritual community and we're talking about leadership and community, it's always executed, It's always the, the tracks that it runs on is relationship. And when that's not present, you know it, don't you? Because it feels like, you don't even know me. It, that's kind of the feeling you might, oh, okay, that's me. Maybe you feel this way as well. To be led by someone who loves you and comes under you and empowers you for your good and to your joy is to be led like Christ has led the church. Let me say that again. To be led by someone who loves you and comes under you to empower you for your good and your joy is to be led like Christ has led the church. Friends, this is the best kind of friendship. This is the best kind of marriage. This is the best kind of sex. When this, when someone, to be loved and led by someone who loves you and comes under you for your joy and your fulfillment. And I know, I know that we will fail at this. I know that we will. I know that I have. I know that Awaken has. But this is the goal. This is what we're aiming for. So when we talk about leadership in this community, when we talk about people who are asked and and who, who are leading and have this mantle of leadership, It's an important piece, but what we're shooting for, what we're aiming for is to lead people who we love dearly and who we come under to empower for your good and your joy and for the good and the joy of this community. That, to me, I'm willing to at least say, okay, I'll buy from you. Right To be led by someone who you know really, truly loves you and is willing to sacrifice themselves for you, who comes under you and empowers you for your joy and your good. It's beautiful. It's the best marriage. It's the best friendship. It's 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 beautiful. It's what we were made for. And unfortunately, it's gotten so twisted so often, and so so many of us are like, no way, no thank you, no how but I guess I just want to invite us to even consider this conversation because I think Paul talks about it. Now, let me just, as I kind of wrap this up here, one last thing that I think, and maybe even the most important piece of this text that Paul mentions is verse four. Maybe you could say it this way. Uh, It hurts me more than it hurts you. Has anybody ever said that to their children before? Like, be honest, parents. Have you said this to your kids? Yes, I have said this to my, my kids before. I'm pretty sure it was said to me as a child. Um, and as a child, right, you, you say to your, you say, maybe you say out loud, I said in my head, bull, bony. you know, like your parents says, son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And you're like, come on, that's just something old people say, or that's just something parents say, you know, it's not true. And then there comes this moment as a dad where one of my children has made a mistake. They've made a choice. And there's a lot at stake here. Do you just say, ah, whatever, and you let them run roughshod into whatever mistakes they might make, uh, whatever disasters they might have in front of them, knowingly or unknowingly, or do you discipline them? And you, you become the executor of the consequences that were set for whatever the transgression may be. You become the one who sort of has to follow through. And in that moment, I realized that my parents weren't lying to me. Because the feeling that you have in that moment is, I do not want to do this. I do not want to see you suffer. I do not want to see you in pain. And it breaks my heart to do it, but if I don't, it says something far worse. That... I don't care. Yeah, do whatever. Makes no never mind to me, right? I mean, that's the alternative in these kinds of moments. And so I have this eureka moment where I recognize it's true that this actually does hurt me more than it hurts them. Why? Because you love them. Because you love them like a parent, like a mother or a father. You love them. Paul says to them in verse four, I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. In Proverbs, and then again in Hebrews, it says the Lord disciplines those he loves. And if you didn't love them, you'd walk away. You'd let them go whatever direction you wanted. You'd let them do whatever they wanted to do. Whatever disasters might come, you'd let them go. But you don't because love motivates your actions. Paul's actions here are motivated by something that's not normal, right? It would be normal for Paul to sort of be playing the power play, to sort of trying to do the one-up, to sort of try to get ahead or to use them for his advantage. That's totally normal. That's the world that we live in. But what Paul says is, I wrote you, I didn't visit you, not because I didn't love you, but because I did love you and because I wanted to spare you from any more anguish. And you weren't ready to hear what I had to say. And so I'm writing you to sort of ease the tension, to grease the skids. Because some of you are acting like idiots and you can't continue to do that. You're tearing down the community and you're using the community for yourself. You're consuming people and you can't do that. And that's about to come. But Paul writes this letter instead of visiting them because they couldn't, they couldn't handle that for whatever reason at that time. Sometimes we make decisions for the benefit of the whole, or we choose to see the long view and not the short view. Sometimes we say the hard thing. Paul is here acting like their spiritual father because he loves them like a father. He takes no joy in berating them, humiliating them, frightening them. But he does expect them to behave like Jesus behaved. And so he has some thoughts for them. But under it all, whatever Paul does, he says, is motivated by love. It's driven by love. By love. What would it look like for our actions, our lives, our words, our responses, our relationships, our interactions with people to be driven by, motivated? The source of those interactions, conversations, words is love. We're going to end here and we're going to camp on this for a few minutes. And I want, to give you guys, I want to give you an opportunity to just reflect, to do some thinking. I'm guessing that if you were to go back over the last week, the last couple of weeks, the last month, that there may, in fact, be multiple conversations, words, moments that were not motivated. I mean, if you really, really were honest and you were to draw back to the source of where that came from, whatever that word was, whatever that conversation was, whatever that move was, That it wasn't motivated by love. See point one and two. What do we do when we find ourselves there? I think the scriptures, and I think Jesus is pretty clear on, for those that follow Jesus, the answer is, you seek forgiveness. As we close, I'm going to ask the the band to come, and uh, Melody's just going to quietly play something um, while we create a little bit of space to think. Paul says in Colossians 3, Above all. There's no tricks in the Greek. There's no trick words that could be interpreted multiple ways. It's above all, above everything else. Paul says, clothe yourselves with love which binds us together in perfect harmony and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. So friends, I want to invite you to um, whatever posture, whatever space you need to just think for a few minutes. If it's bow your head, close your eyes, if it's move away from people, whatever you need to do, um, just for the next couple minutes, if you would. Uh, and reflect. And let me, let me lead you, guide you through um, a time of reflection. The scriptures say that God is love. That the very essence, the very core, the very center of who and what God is is love and it's from this place that we are made and it's for that goal that we are invited to live for love love of one another love of God love of this world that God has given to us as grace and sometimes we do better at that than we do other times sometimes we say things that it's not motivated by love. I wrote you with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So two questions to consider. One, do you know the depth of God's love for you? Consider that today. ask in it, like a light shining down on you. Let it warm your soul. Let it fill you from the inside. Do you know the depth of God's love for you? And two, are there any actions that weren't motivated by love? The last week, the last month, online at www.awakencommunity.com, or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awaken Community or on Twitter at awaken Community. See you next time.